Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly, a social injustice podcast. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So in today's episode, we will be examining an issue with accomplice laws, where co-defendants can be found guilty of murder if a death occurs when they are in the midst of committing a felony. Have you heard of any cases that have used this accomplice laws? And then we're also going to get into the felony murder rule. I don't think so, unless there's like a big one that I'm not... So I've heard of random cases where a group of people rob like a convenience store. Mm -hmm. And if one of those, let's say they're armed, if one of those people shoots and kills the person working at the gas station or wherever they were robbing, everyone that was involved in that robbery gets charged with murder. So is it similar to like a car accident that leads to death and then that they could get charged with like manslaughter? Um, No, not really. So... In that situation, it would be like the driver gets in a car accident and one of the persons die, but everyone in the car gets charged with murder. Mm, Okay. So you're an accomplice because you were participating in the event. And so in certain situations, I I understand where this is coming from. However, the case that I have today blurs the lines of this accomplice law and the felony murder rule, and it will definitely get you thinking if this is an unjust law or if there needs to be stricter definitions and guidelines in how this law is used. Because in this case, the so-called murder was carried out by a police officer who was never charged with murder. Yet, the victim's friends were charged with murder due to this accomplice law. What? Yeah. So this is the story of Lakeith Smith. In 2015, in Millbrook, Alabama, 15-year-old Lakeith Smith joined up with four other friends, Adante Washington, Jadarian Hardy, Javarsky Jackson, and Lanthony Washington, all teenagers who planned to do a couple of break-ins. On the morning of February 23, 2015, the five boys broke into an empty home and stole some electronics and money. They then drove up to the street and broke into a second home. A neighbor saw the boys acting suspicious and called the police. When police arrived at the scene, the boys scattered and tried to flee. Jackson exchanged gunfire with officers, although no one was hurt. In body cam footage, an officer can be seen walking towards the side gate into the backyard when Dante Washington comes through the gate and approaches the officer. It all happens very fast, but Washington had a gun on him, and before the officer could instruct Washington to drop his weapon, He shot at Washington four times, ultimately killing him. Jesus. Washington was just 16 years old. Mm. The other four boys were found and detained, but it was reported that Lakeith Smith was found hiding in a closet, scared. He was unarmed. Remember, at the time, he was only 15 years old. The boys were taken into custody where they were not only charged with robbery, but they were also all charged with the murder of Adante Washington, the boy who police killed. So how could an unarmed boy hiding in a closet scared after a robbery attempt be liable for the murder of another boy who was shot by police? So let's go over the accomplice liability law and the felony murder rule that was used in this case. The accomplice liability law states that a person is legally liable for the behavior of another who commits a criminal offense if that person aids or abets the first person in committing the offense. So in this case, they were all robbing the home together. That that makes sense so okay. far. The felony murder rule states that a defendant can be charged with first-degree murder for a killing that occurs during a dangerous felony, even if the defendant is not the killer. 
So in this case, you can assume that breaking into a home would be considered the dangerous felony because any reasonable, there's that reasonable Mm -hmm. person, would assume that breaking into a home could be inherently dangerous. A death could be foreseeable and you could be liable for any death that occurs. However, in most cases, the death is usually a victim of the original felony crime or an innocent bystander. But in this situation, the death was one of the perpetrators killed by the police. And the co-defendants are essentially children. 42 states have a version of this rule and interpret it differently. And depending on your involvement in the felony that led to the murder, you could be sentenced to death if found guilty. However, some states like California have laws preventing prosecution under this rule if the person didn't play a major role in the crime. Okay. Which would make sense in the situation. However, this happened in Alabama. I was going to say, it sounds like... It sounds like this is an option mm-hmm. that can be used in cases where it makes sense. Yes. But in this case, I don't feel like it makes very much sense. But it also seems like we're in Alabama. Yep. They're probably people of color. Yep, they are. And so it's just like, let's just add this one other thing. Like, it just seems like excessive punishment or excessive yes. use of power, really, charging them with this accomplice. And the felony murder rule. Murder, yeah. When... It doesn't need to be like, yeah, we're going to talk about all that with the prosecutor because it definitely was an option. They didn't have to. They didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. The idea behind this felony murder rule is to hopefully deter people from participating in any felony crime due to the possibility of being charged with murder if a death occurs in the process, which I get the idea behind it. But this so-called crime prevention laws are very annoying to me. Mm Because the majority of the time, people don't even know these laws exist, let alone a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. So Lakeith and his three surviving friends are charged with felony burglary and theft and murder, and they were being tried as adults. Prosecution offered a plea deal of 25 years to each defendant. Three of them took the deal, but Lakeith did not. According to his mom, who did an interview with PBS, Lakeith didn't want to take the deal because he didn't murder anybody and taking the deal would mean admitting to a crime he didn't do. That must be hard, too, because it's like you're asking me to admit that I killed my friend. And mm-hmm. that's just not it's not true. Like, that would be hard it's for anybody. Not true. Yeah. I mean, he's a child. Yeah. Like, that's that's a lot for someone to comprehend and decide. I mean, I think that's good that his mindset was kind of like i can't admit to something mm-hmm. that i didn't do but unfortunately that doesn't go well for him yeah so lakeith went to trial during the trial his lawyer jennifer holton stated quote the officer shot adante not lakeith smith lakeith was a 15 year old child scared to death he did not participate in the act that caused the death of adante he never shot anybody which if lakeith was the one who was like shooting at police and then police shot back, and then mm-hmm. in the crossfire, like Washington was killed. Right. I, I would understand it in that situation. But he was not even outside when it occurred. He was hiding inside a closet. It's also very convenient that for a lot of things, we look at the intent mm-hmm. of things, and their intent was to go in and rob. Yeah. Their intent wasn't to actually like harm anyone, although they had a gun on them. But like, like you said, he was nowhere near what happened. I think when things started going south, he kind of ran, mm-hmm. scared mm-hmm. to hide, to kind of stay out of everything. And mm-hmm. yet now here he is, a victim of things where it's like, if we were to look at the intent of this case, like we do with so many others, yeah. it would be so obvious that the intent was never 
for anything like this to happen. Mm -hmm. Especially because they were purposely trying to target homes that were empty. Yeah. They didn't target a home knowing someone was in there and they're going to hold them hostage. Like they were trying to look for homes that didn't have people in it so that no one would be hurt. And I think it's really difficult for someone to say, well, a reasonable 15 year old would know that a police might come and just kill you guys. Yeah. I think it's really unfair when the criminal justice system tries to impose what they believe someone was thinking prior to committing something, Mm -hmm. especially children. Yeah. They're, I mean, we'll go into the whole thing about their brain not being completely developed Developed. yet, but to say, to impose these ideas that adults think onto children and say that they should have foreseen this Mm -hmm. coming is really unfair. Yeah. So in just 90 minutes, Lakeith was found guilty by an all-white jury in Alabama. He received 30 years for felony murder a 15-year sentence for burglary, and two 10-year sentences for theft. In total, Smith was sentenced to 65 years in prison. In 2019, the Court of Criminal Appeals made a decision that one of Smith's 10-year sentences for a theft charge could not be run consecutively with his 15-year sentence for a first-degree burglary conviction, so his sentence was reduced to 55 years. Okay. So the ACLU released a statement regarding this case and brought up some important issues to consider. For one, they mentioned the issue of prosecutorial abuse of discretion within the criminal justice system. The prosecutor did not have to charge Lakeith and his friends with the murder, but they chose to. They also did not have to try 15-year-old Lakeith as an adult rather than a juvenile, but they chose to. The criminal justice system accepts the idea that juveniles lack impulse control and their brains are not fully developed, which results in teens making bad decisions. And because of it, it is also accepted that juveniles can be easily rehabilitated, which in most cases, rehabilitation is the goal of the criminal justice system. However, when the prosecutor decided to charge Lakeith as an adult for a murder that he did not commit himself, they knew very well that he would most likely spend the majority of his life in prison with less of a focus on rehabilitation. What I don't agree with is the idea that this 15-year-old boy who made a mistake to steal from a home but was unarmed and hiding in a closet scared after he heard gunshots is not worthy of rehabilitation and a chance at life after learning his lesson not to break into homes. I do believe that he should have been charged with robbery and theft as a juvenile, and that's it. I think you agree with that, too. The idea behind charging a child as an adult goes back to the idea, again, of preventing crimes in hopes that having the possibility of a harsher sentence would deter juveniles from committing crimes, which, again, makes no sense because how many kids actually know the laws of their state when it comes to charging them as adults or the accomplice liability law or even the felony murder rule? I didn't even know much about this, about, you know, the specifics of the laws, let alone in my own state. Like, I still don't know all the details of the felony murder rule and the accomplice laws and trying juveniles as an adult in California where I live. Mm -hmm. I only know Alabama's at the moment because that's what I did research on. Yeah. So I just, how can you expect anyone else to know these things? And if you don't know, then it's not going to deter you. Mm -mm. Well, because we think of things so like kind of like black and white right like we Mm -hmm. know things are good and things are bad like i'm sure they knew when they did it that robbing a place was bad yeah but like no one knows the intricacies of our criminal justice system and the laws that 
are different in each state. Yeah. Like it's so it's and different so by, hard. County, by and county and what prosecutor you have yeah, in that county. Like it's so hard. Like mm-hmm. who could keep up with that? Like unless that's literally all you're doing. Because how many times haven't we seen it too? Like the one case that comes to mind is the one of the the MDO program. Oh, yeah. Remember where mm-hmm. like the, the reason why he ended up being in this program for so long was because his attorney or his like legal team had no idea that the law had that changed. The law had changed. Mm-hmm. So it's like not even the people who work in law know this. Like why would we know that as just civilians? The worst is when I see prosecutors bring up this like archaic law in trial and they're like, "Well, this is the law they should have known." And and then I can't remember what case it was, but it was on TV and the judge was like, how did you know about this law? And they're like, oh, well, we did some research and, you know, it it took a while for them to like understand the actual law and that's what they were presenting with. And the judge was like, well, how do you expect this person to know that specific law that hasn't been used in decades? And they're like, well, it's not our job to make sure everyone knows the law. It's just our job to enforce it. And that blew my mind that this person could say this in court. Yeah. Criminologists Simon Singer and David McDowell and social scientists Eric Jensen and Linda Metzger conducted separate research studies to evaluate the deterrent effect of the laws allowing prosecutors to try juveniles as adults. Comparisons were made across multiple states and evaluated a few years prior to the new laws and a few years after the laws were enacted. Each study concluded that the laws had zero effect on deterrence and only cause longer sentencing for kids. What's more is that multiple studies, such as the one conducted by Northeastern University, found that in reality, juveniles transferred to the adult criminal system were more likely to reoffend after release, which makes sense because now they're hardened, mm-hmm. right? They're, they go in as kids, they come out as adults, and the ending of their youth is spent with adults who have committed a lot of crimes and they've had to protect themselves and they've learned how to survive in the prison system, which is absolutely terrifying. So all that to say that not only was charging the teens with murder for the cops' justifiable homicide of their friend an extreme overreach, but to try them as adults for a crime they didn't commit with their own hands can also be seen as abuse of power. A second issue that the ACLU mentions is that Lakeith was given a harsher sentence than his co-defendants because he decided to exercise his constitutional right to a trial. Prosecutors try to urge plea deals all the time to avoid trials. Unfortunately, this has caused defendants to receive harsher sentencing because they rejected a plea deal, and this issue is referred to as, quote, a trial tax or trial penalty. Yeah, it's like retaliation. Exactly. Even though it is in someone's right to a fair trial. Lakeith's friends, some of which did have a gun on them at the time of the robbery, are in prison for 25 years because of the plea deal. Lakeith is now in for 55 years because he exercised his right to trial. And we see this in issues of wrongful convictions. We see people who actually committed terrible crimes taking plea deals and having lighter sentencings. And then we see people who are innocent taking plea deals in fear of receiving a harsh sentence, even though they are innocent. It's a form of mass incarceration. And in Lakeith's situation, he received the harshest sentencing because he refused to admit guilt to a murder that he did not pull the trigger to or even instigate. It's such like an ego thing. It's like, oh, you're not going to take my plea deal that I'm helping you with? Then Mm -hmm. like, fuck off. We're going to make you pay for it. Like, Mm -hmm. why? Wait till I see you in trial. Yeah. It's funny because I 
constantly hear people like complaining about this is my constitutional right and my rights this and my rights that Mm -hmm. and this is America. Okay, well, people have their constitutional right to a fair trial, yet we're already seeing, like you just said, the trial starts off with everyone already having this idea of the defendant being defiant because they didn't want to take a plea deal, Mm -hmm. even though they're exercising their right. So it's weird because I feel like people use the Constitution and you know, certain rights that Americans are supposed to have only when it's convenient for them Mm -hmm. and other rights that either don't affect them or aren't convenient for them or they don't agree with, Mm -hmm. they're not going to fight for and they're not going to bring those up. Mm -hmm. So Washington was killed by police in what was ruled a justified homicide. Washington's father, Andre Washington, told PBS in an interview that he did not believe Lakeith and his friends should have been charged with his son's murder and actually said that it was crazy. During the trial, Washington's father sat with Lakeith's mother as he was not in agreement with the prosecution. A BBC News article quoted Washington's father as stating, quote, I went there to show him and his family some support. What the officers did, it was totally wrong. I don't feel Smith deserves that. No, not at all. It sucks because now he probably has to deal with the guilt of like, maybe not guilt, but like he has to deal with two things, right? Like his son being murdered, Mm -hmm. but then also having to deal with the fact that they're using his son's death to get his son's friends on it. Like Mm -hmm. that's just so unfair because there's no justice in that. And Mm -hmm. that's supposedly what we're what we're after is we're after justice. Right. But there's no justice in having his friends convicted of his murder when they had nothing to do with it. And the one person who pulled, who pulled the trigger on the gun that killed his son is free based on justifiable homicide. Like, right. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It's really sad because, I mean, a 16-year-old lost his life. And then when you see the pictures of the other kids, they look just as young. Lakeith's booking picture, he looks like a baby. Like, this is a child. There's no way you can say, oh, he's 15, but he acted like a grown man. I don't care. He was like five foot nothing. Mm. He was little. He was a child. And it's so crazy because we are now losing five kids. Five of our youth are now one's dead and the rest are in prison for a really long time. And Lakeith in prison for the longest time. And I think he was the youngest one there. So it's really just overall such a loss. Um, because you don't know what these kids could have contributed to society had you focused more on rehabilitation and focusing on the issues that got them there in the first place. Hello, like, yes, that's like my thing. It's like, why are we so, obviously, yes, we have to be concerned with like punishing people who do bad things. Mm -hmm. I get that. But I think that there's a bigger issue at hand that like there's so many of our youth, our colored youth who Mm -hmm. are ending up in situations like this because there is a lack of resources going going into colored communities yeah. that could prevent and keep these kids out of trouble. Yeah. But no, but like, and the thing is, I think everyone understands that, but but just nothing's being done about it because it's like, well, it's fine. We'll get them once once they're in jail. We'll get to them, or like you know, they'll learn once they're in prison. But it's like, why can't we teach them before? Why mm-hmm. can't we keep them out of jail? But it's again like. Because that's just not how how the system was built. Yeah, but that's such a cop-out because even when they end up in prison, there's like no programs available for any type of rehabilitation. Occasionally, you'll have one program that they were able to fund for maybe a a season or two and they are able to get a few people some college degrees. But for the most part, that's not 
nationwide. Mm -hmm. Not every prison has all these programs available to try to reintegrate them into society and help rehabilitate them and, and, you know, therapy and go to the root cause of what made them commit the crimes in the first place. And then that's not even considering everyone that's innocent that it's in prison. (laughs) Why do we do this again? (laughs) Why are we here (laughs) to get ourselves riled up and upset? So Kent Schadiger, the legal director of the Criminal Justice Legal Foundation, a victim's rights advocacy group, and one who has been called the country's most outspoken advocate in favor of the death penalty. Surprisingly, he does not agree with the prosecution on this case. (laughs) You know, it's bad when even that guy doesn't agree. Yeah. (laughs) So Kent thinks the application was excessive in Lakeith's case because he was effectively convicted of the murder of someone who legally was not murdered since a grand jury ruled Washington's death a justifiable homicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kent states, quote, you can't be an accessory if there's no principle. Thank you. That makes absolute sense. That makes so much sense. (laughs) So why are we in the situation that we're in right now? Yeah. So to That's help, true, though. He makes such a good point because it wasn't mm-hmm. ruled a murder. It was ruled a homicide. Yeah, there's no murder. It's a justified homicide. So why are there people in prison for this as a murder when yeah. it's not considered a murder? Because that's where they want him. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. So to help you understand this case a little better and to get to know Lakeith more, we had the pleasure of interviewing Lakeith and his team, and this is what they had to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I am really excited to have you guys on here because I feel that you guys have such a unique team that you've put together and you're fighting for Lakeith Smith, which we've already listened to his story and what we're fighting for at the moment. And I'm very interested in learning how you guys came about, the dynamics of this group, and how you guys are fighting for this injustice. Because I feel that it can be such an inspiration for other people who are passionate about a certain case of injustice and they want to help. So I'm hopeful that we can kind of bring some inspiration to other people to form their own groups. So let's meet you guys and see what you are all about. Hey, I'm uh, Liliana Gonzalez. I am the, uh, I guess the group uh, campaign coordinator and um, the family liaison. Cool. Uh, I'm Chelsea Dubik. I have been helping wherever I can, mostly with research and reaching out to organizations and lawyers. Hi, I'm Heidi Gardner. Um, I've been also kind of filling a role of just like supporting where I can and also trying to get the word out about the Keith on social. Um, I'm Amani Galloway and I'm here mostly for the support to help the campaign. I started the petition back in June of last year. And I'm Sarah and I have helped with doing graphic design and social media. Okay, wonderful. So how did you all form this group? I think it all started with um, the Shade Room post several years ago. I think they posted about Lakeith's story in 2018. And uh, I think we could all agree that it, it once we learned about Lakeith's story, it all struck us and, and um, disturbed us. Um, 
And so uh, in 2020, uh, during the pandemic and the George Floyd um, protests, um, it, it, I think we all uh, just wanted to do something to help, um, not just with uh, the uh, unfortunate loss of George Floyd and the Sandra Blands and the Tamir Rices, but um, you know, there's also a lot of black and brown people that are losing their lives too unjust laws in the prison system. Um, so that was an opportunity to speak about Lakeith's case and, and bring it back to the surface. And uh, with the help of his family and friends, um, all it took was one Instagram post to just reach millions of people across the globe. And um, I think through that, uh, the family was just, you know, reaching out to us. They reached out to Amania, they reached out to myself, they, they've talked to Heidi and everyone else here. And uh, they wanted to know what we could do. And we couldn't just stop at social media. It had to be a little bit more. So um, we formed this group and it was very strategic. We needed, um, we needed someone in marketing. We needed someone to handle the funding campaign, the, the change.org petition, um, the legal research, the publicity and press, all of that. So it just, it was what, what are the goals and what are the needs and what, what is the strategy? The strategy is to raise funds for Lakeith. The strategy was uh, also to see what we can do to raise awareness about the felony murder rule. Um, that is being unjustly used across the country um, and, and more so in um, Southern and, and, and red states. And um, what we can do to change the law um, and, and hopefully bring Lakeith home ultimately is the, is, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. And so how did this piece together? <laughs> uh, well, let me on a... I mean, Liliana reached out to me on, on Instagram. I think she reached out to everyone. Like she's kind of underplaying her role <laughs> and saying that it just came together and that's not really accurate. Liliana reached out to everyone and pulled us together as a group and said, you know, I think there's power in numbers. And I think, you know, I can see, cause I had posted a really long post about his case and all the details of his case. And uh, it was getting a lot of traction. And so she was following all of the, hashtags for Lakeith and she was following hashtags for the felony murder rule and the accomplice liability law and just reaching out to people who were posting about him and seeing if they wanted to get involved and I did and I think a lot of us in you know last summer were realizing kind of naively for the first time that it wasn't enough to just not be racist that you actually had to be engaged in this work in a meaningful way and for a lot of us, it's like, that's not my day job. You know, I'm an art teacher. And so how do I contribute? And that was the question for me. I think that was the question for a lot of us. It's like, if your job is not in nonprofits, if your job is not in the law, then how do you make an impact? And I think for me, it was just like, okay, I, I'm good at research. I'm good at reaching out. I'm good at keeping organized. I'm good at doing all of these things. And I do have some free time. So if I can put it towards one thing or one person, but focused on this one aspect of the law, then maybe I can help. And I think that that's what everyone was thinking, but Liliana really pulled us all together. 
Yeah, I will. Yeah. Say, um, once we started the the social media account for or the, the multiple social media accounts for uh, Lakeith Smith, um, Heidi actually reached out to us. Oh, like, cool. what can I, what can I do? I'm not doing like okay. I posted about it, but I'm not doing enough. Like, what else are you guys doing? And I was like, well, there's a group of women that kind of formed together across the country to to support this case. And if you want, you could join us. And she was like, sign me up. <laughs> that was like, that was a great add to our group. Yeah, you it was see? the first time for me that um, social media started to make sense to me in not just a superficial way. I think for a long time, I was like, what is Instagram? I mean, I engage and I post photos, but it felt like this weird scrapbook. Um, and the summer of 2020, it was like, oh, I, I get social media now. I get what an impact it can make. I see Lakeith's page and, and I start following like prison reform pages and bail projects. And that, you know, sadly hadn't been on my radar before. And now I'm so grateful to be a part of this group of women, but just to be more in the know. And that's kind of where I think it was like, oh, okay, social media is not all bad and evil. It can, it can really make a change and I've seen it happen here, so. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, and Heidi, you're an actress, you're on SNL, is that correct? Mm -hmm. So every time we've seen when a celebrity comes into a group and for a, a case of injustice and they use their platform and it just skyrockets, right? How important do you think it is for people in your profession to take an interest in this and, and try to help where they can? I think it's really important to, to just to use that, like I said, I didn't know really what social media was for other than maybe promoting yourself. And it's like, no, let's promote like the real things that matter, the cases that matter, the people that matter, the injustices that matter. And I, I think I did it because I've seen other people do it and make an impact. And it's like, you never know who you could be inspiring along the way. And so for me, not only helping Lakeith and his family, that's number one, that's the biggest deal. But if if one person sees me post about Lakeith, and, and I do know this has happened, one person and they go and sign the petition and then they post about it and that opens it up to their community. I mean, it's the biggest deal and it doesn't just have to be a famous person, you know? Like even my friends back home who have 500 followers, like they post about it. 500 more people know. It's just amazing how like the spider web spreads. Yeah, and to that point, um, I always underestimated my voice, underestimated my voice. Um, I had at the time, like maybe 250 followers that were all my friends, people that I knew. And um, I posted about Lakeith, made my page public. And before I knew it, there was like 27,000 likes and people were suddenly talking about this after several years. So. Um, definitely don't underestimate your voice. Your voice is powerful. Social media is a very useful, powerful tool. Absolutely. And it takes a village to help every single case. It really does take a village. And 
every single person is just as important as the next. And like you guys said, reaching out to one person, that one person reaches out to more people. And so we keep trying to tell people like word of mouth is so important and it's free, it's free to do. And I love that you guys collectively have created your own little spider web of um, reaching out to people. And I do want to make a point. I, it was said really quickly, but you guys are coming from all over the country, right? What states are you guys from? I'm from Missouri, but I live in New York now. Okay. Chelsea, where are you from? Um, I am from Kentucky, but Liliana and I are both in Chicago actually right now, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Sarah, where are you from? Oregon. Oregon. Okay, Amania, where are you from? I'm from Massachusetts. Okay, so we have such a diverse group of people coming together. You guys have meetings, you guys are talking on social media, and it just works so well. And so I, I hope other people can see this as an example that it doesn't just have to be people in their hometown that they get together. Like they can reach out like Liliana did. And I mean, it must have been, I don't know how hard it is for you to talk to other people. I'm sure for a lot of people, it's scared to reach out to strangers and ask for help or things like that. But I think in the time that we are in now, people are so willing to help. They just don't know how. And if you're that person that's willing to reach out to one person, two people, um, you can really form your own group. And so Liliana, I have a quick question for you. Um, what advice do you have for people who are interested in forming some type of team for a case that they feel has um, been an injustice? Um, yeah, I, I would say um, write down your goals, figure out what you want um, and, and uh, figure out your strategy and, and look for people that are gonna complement that strategy. Um, you know, I think too, with social media, there's sometimes it makes us isolated. Right. Um, and, and we don't interact the same way we do anymore, but on the opposite side of that, um, it's, it is this big network. Right. Um, and I would just say, reach out to people. The worst thing that people can say is no. Um, and after that, no, there's going to be a yes. So don't be afraid to reach out to people, utilize your own network. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's not easy, but, uh, and it does take a little bit of time, but, um, you know, stay committed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the, the, it's just so rewarding to see that, um, progress is being made, but this progress, it took us it took us over a year to get here. So it's not, it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So definitely check your expectations and just stay committed to that goal. Perfect. Thank you. So Heidi, I understand that you've had a lot of communication with Lakeith and I kind of want to just get to know him a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah. Um, I feel really lucky that I've gotten to know him. Lakeith is such a sweet kid. Um, he's. We actually have a lot in common. I, I think we kind of first bonded over sports. Um, that's usually my go-to. <laughs> I'm really into sports. Um, and, you know, he was 
the NBA playoffs just happened. He was cheering for the Atlanta Hawks. I was going for the Knicks. Uh, they played each other the first round of the playoffs. So we were enemies at that point. But, um, but at, uh, but he'll, you know, when if he knows my team's playing, he'll root for them unless it's against his team. He's very sweet <laughs> like that. Um, he's also like, you know, I'm a big, I'm in entertainment, but I'm like a big fan of movies. So we'll talk about movies. Like he loves Marvel movies. Um, he's actually really funny. I knew that from just getting to know him, but recently he's opened up to me more about like, Oh, I consider myself kind of a comedian. I'm like, I already knew that. And, um, he, he told me that he's been writing, uh, write sometimes, which I think it'd be amazing to read what Lakeith has to say. I mean, he obviously has been through a lot in his life. Um, and then he's also one thing that really surprised me. I mean, I knew how committed to his family he is and to his faith, but he's also really caring. Like, you know, I, I kind of feel like I need to be checking in on him and his situation. And he's always one to be like, Hey, how are you doing? What's up? What's going on? Like, um, it's kind of amazing to get that, um, feeling of, of being cared for, like, you know, a friend. So that's been really, really special. Um, and just makes me want to fight harder for him because I know what an amazing, empathetic, tender man he is. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like such a, a beautiful person. I hope that we can all get yeah. to see him one day too, outside of the situation, right? If we can bring him home yep. and have a relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Chelsea, you have a little bit of insight on the judge in the case and some issues. Sorry to go from being <laughs> happy to now kind of bringing in the injustice, oh, okay. but that's the reality of the situation right now. So could you give us right. a little bit of um, insight on, on what's going on with, with the judge? Um, so with both the judge and the prosecutor, it... it there are just issues. It's a very small town. There's only two judges in the town. Um, and that prosecutor in particular really likes applying the felony murder rule to teenagers. I know you already talked about this, but Lakeith Smith was 15 when this happened. Uh, when I first read about him, that prosecutor was planning on applying this law to another 16 and 17 year old um, to put them away. And this judge, you know, he gave Lakeith 30 years for felony murder, 15 for burglary. And then at the time, two different 10 year sentences for theft. So you're, and it seemed like he wanted Lakeith to kind of grovel and Lakeith wasn't gonna do it. And he wasn't gonna take a plea bargain because he didn't kill Adante Washington, this police officer did. And that judge just didn't like his attitude, you know, and there's footage of it. There's footage of him talking down to him being like, you just don't get it, do you? Um, and he gave him at the time a 65 year sentence that now has been reduced to 55 because he didn't like the way that this 19 year old was conducting himself in court. And this is a person who had been in, in prison for from 15 to 19 for something that 
you know, a police officer did. And this judge has a history of, of, of handing down sentencing like this. And obviously this prosecutor has a history of using this law in this way that is technically legal and is morally reprehensible. So, and also, but I, you know, we're focusing on this one person, right? We're focusing on Lakeith, but we also are focusing on this system because there are so many people who are exactly like him. And that's why we want attention on this. This is, you know, getting Lakeith out would be wonderful and it, it can't stop there. Um, the system is horrible in Alabama in particular. And the law, the lawyers that I have talked to have gone, you know, it's hard because everything that they did is legal. They gave him the absolute maximum for every single thing. You know, and even if you're not looking at the felony murder rule, they gave him, what was it, initially 20, 35 years for property damage to a 15-year-old. That's just, it blows my mind. So, and it's, and he's not unique. That's kind of the worst part is like, we're focusing on this one person um, because you kind of need to focus on one person, but he's not unique. This happens in that county all the time, in that state all the time. Uh, Illinois just passed a law, the first state, right, Liliana, to... Yeah, uh, I think it's the second second or third state. Uh, California uh, recently amended their felony murder rule doctrine um, several years ago, and uh, Illinois just uh, with the help of um, uh, Senators uh, Peters and House Rep uh, Slaughter, they passed uh, um, an amendment to the felony murder rule here in Illinois. Just gotcha. as, so, yeah, it's it's still being applied in most states. I think it's still in like 40, 45 states. Right. Um, and it's yeah. hard because, you know, it's very, very, as we were talking before, it's very, very hard to unseat judges. Mm -hmm. Right. And Trump appointed so many judges while he was in office. And there's not a lot of attention on the judges in these smaller districts, but they're having an outsized influence and they're absolutely wrecking lives. Yeah. And Alabama is just one of those states where um, they view um, they view uh, burglary and theft as a violent crime. Um, so. Right the felony murder rule gets applied to uh, burglaries and, um, you know, they have the habitual offender laws. So you have, unfortunately, like people like uh, Willie Simmons uh, that's serving 99 years in prison because they stole $9 hedge clippers. Yeah, his case is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, yeah. I mean, all of these cases are and it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you pick and choose, right? But um and I think it, it just it it just really it, we all have brothers we all have uh, male cousins and and male friends we grew up with some of these people right mm -hmm. that were getting into trouble at such a young age and their children they don't you know we're we're not like fully developed till we're like in our early twenties and um, right. we make mistakes and to be punished for that. For the rest of your life is is just very heartbreaking yeah. it is and it's it, you know it and then it also puts 
how do I say this? You know, he, this judge made a, a sort of a decision just based on his feelings that day, right? He didn't like Lakeith's attitude. He put this child away for such a long time. And now there's all these people spending a collective, you know, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours trying to get this one person out. When, well, meanwhile, there's so many other people who are being put away. So the laws have to change and the system has to change. And in the meanwhile, it's like, there's all these issues that we just, there isn't enough time for, and there aren't enough people for. Um, it's really, it's really maddening. Yeah. And one of the, one of our strategies too, on social media is to, again, like highlight the felony murder rule and, um, and change it. And part of changing it is, you know, with the call to action, having um, the followers and people that view the post check in with their state level Congress people to see if they have that law, if they support the law, or if they support amending the law. If they don't support amending the law, vote them out. Vote out your judges. Um, we talk about our voice being powerful here on, you know, the, on, on this specific social media campaign, um, but our, our voice is powerful too when, when it comes to voting and we can't, uh, we gotta utilize that tool. Absolutely. So as of right now, can you let our listeners know what they can do to help in this fight for Lakeith? Um, yes, actually. So we do have a collection of social media accounts. The biggest one where you can find the most updates, the most activity is on Instagram under the name Justice for Lakeith Smith. And it's the number four, not the word four. And in the bio, there is a hyperlink that links you to our link tree. And from there, you can find the GoFundMe, you can find the petition to sign, to share, and you can find a collection of other resources. And um, it's a great resource if, you, um, if you're looking for ways to help assist Lakeith in this, in this basically like power struggle against um, Alabamian legislature. Okay. So before we wrap things up, is there any last minute comments, statements that you guys wanna say? I think one thing maybe we left out, um, this goes back to uh, using social media. Um, I will say um, that the, the criminal reform and prison reform community on media is very receptive and very helpful. So if anyone is thinking about um, taking on any of these initiatives, um, reach out to us at the Justice for Lakeith Smith IG for, for advice and feedback. We'll, we'll definitely be open to sharing that. Definitely reach out to your Congress people to see how you can change the laws in your state. Um, definitely uh, reach out to Alabama, uh, Alabama legislatures um, to change the, the felony murder rule and our accomplice liability, liability laws in Alabama um, to help just uh, look at how much like numbers can do really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, Twitter is another great resource. Um, there's the, the, the criminal reform and uh, social justice community on there is so helpful and they've helped us come a long way. So definitely reach out to those people um, identify them, message them, and they may not respond, but try again. 
Absolutely. We've got a lot of messages coming in and it, it has, that is part of what makes it so hard is that there's such an incredible need. So, you know, all of the nonprofits that we reached out to are swamped because these judges keep sending people in for reasons they shouldn't be sending them in for. So yeah, just keep, keep trying, but you know, there's, and there's such a huge, huge need for more people to get involved. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, Heidi, Liliana, Sarah, Amania, thank you so much for being here, but also thank you so much for the work that you guys are all doing. Um, like Chelsea said before, this isn't your jobs. <laughs> You're doing this all on your free time. Um, none of you are experts in law, I'm assuming, and <laughs> still came together and are doing the work. Um, even if it's just for one person, that is such an accomplishment. And if we can get more people on board to help that one person here or there that they feel that their heart is being pulled in that direction to help, we can make such a difference in the criminal justice system collectively. And so every single person is important and your group dynamic is amazing. I'm so fortunate to have had the opportunity to speak to you all and uh, please let us know how we can help in the future. Um, Unjustly Podcast is definitely on board with helping wherever we can, just reach out to us. And whenever we have updates on the case, let me know so we can update the listeners as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate you having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is like the most help you could ever do is uh, providing a platform and getting this case out there. So thank you. Okay. So we have the mother of Lakeith Smith here with us today, and I'm so happy to have you on. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Brentina Smith. Okay, and I'm really happy to meet you, but I'm really sorry for the circumstances. I wish it were under better circumstances, but we are here to try to help you. We're here to try to bring in as many people as we can um, to get on board with this and make a difference. So have you been able to visit him recently? Um, no, no visitations in mainly. Well, you know, now it's, of course, due to COVID. Yeah. But no visitation. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw him? It's been well over a year. Oh no, really? Is there any idea of when they'll start visitations again? Um, we haven't got gotten anything yet. Um, and they the prison haven't um set a definite date. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so sad. Are you do you talk to him regularly on the phone? We do have conversations. Okay. Okay. How's he holding up? He's very positive. Oh, he's, good. He's positive, yeah. That's really he's good. Dope, yeah, he's a dope kid. He, he's positive. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Lakeith, like how he was growing up, his personality, so we can kind of get to know him more? Yeah, um, growing up, he was funny. He was funny. Uh, he was a cool kid. Um, Everybody liked them, loved them. Uh, my family, especially the boys in my family, they spoiled them. <laughs> he was like their son as well. Still is, uh, still is. Nothing's really changed. Um, he was a boy, you know. He was tough. 
You didn't mind trying, you know, trying stuff. He, he just funny. Like <laughs> he did funny stuff. He, he was funny. It was funny. That's funny because my interview with his team, uh, Heidi said the same thing that he was just so comical. Uh, he could definitely be a comedian. <laughs> yeah. What yes, did ma'am. he? What would he dream about being when he grew up? He used to be a football player. Really. He wanted to play football. He was he he, he played football uh, throughout his years um, as a child. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of his things. He wanted to be a football player. Good. What was his favorite subject in school? He's good with math. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good with math. He still is good with math. You know, like he can come up with numbers out of his head. You know, and I I can never do that. Okay, so your son has the support of people from all over the country, and it's amazing to see. Has that given you a little bit of hope in this fight for justice? I I can say more more than a little bit. Like, you know, to see that uh, his case had went viral the way that it did. Right. Um, you know, and to see that people actually kill. You know what I'm saying? And that's just, yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming at first. It still, and it still is at times because, I mean, and we had like some dope ladies who's helping me, you know, navigate through this thing or whatever. And I mean, the support is just, it's cool. And it's well appreciated. Well appreciated. Good. I'm, I'm happy to see that. And so I, I'm always hesitant in interviews because I hate to keep bringing up like trauma and emotions from all of this. And so I'm always curious, what kind of support system do you have going through all of this, especially, you know, with you doing interviews and and being that support for your own son and being the voice for him, I know can be really difficult. So, so what do you have in place as support for you? Well, my um, biggest support is, is my family. Um, it's my family. And my dad is like my number one go-to person. Okay. They really, you know, has helped me get through it and is still helping me go through it. We just have a lot of support. And it feels amazing. And now you have the support of a country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I saw how many signatures he had on his change.org petition. And that's so beautiful to see. And so, I mean, really, we keep saying this over and over again, but it takes a village to have, you know, to right a wrong. And mm-hmm. right now we need to get as many people on board as possible. But Lakeith's story is just so... It's, it's tragic, um, but we said it in our last interview with the team that it's not unique, right? Like there's mm-hmm. more children out there mm-hmm. who have experienced this. And so mm-hmm. we're going to focus on Lakeith right now, but in general, there has to be a whole shift in the criminal justice system and what we're doing to these kids because it's, yeah. it's the youth that we're yeah. essentially putting away for the rest of their lives. It's like we're saying no second chances. It's like they're just saying, you know, one wrong mistake and it's just no second chances. Right. You know. The the pictures that I've seen of Lakeith, 
you know, at trial and he, he looks like a baby. He looks like a young child. And it blows my mind to think that he's being tried as an adult. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, you know, the, the laws that were used against him were by choice. And I don't agree with the fact that they were used, but I, I don't understand how a jury can sit there and stare at this baby yeah. face. Yeah. And say yes, this, we're in the right spot. He should be tried as as an adult and and tried with these laws. And it just doesn't make sense to yeah. me or you know to anybody else right now that's behind this. And um, when we say the word jury, I want to be clear to everyone that his jury was all white people, probably mid early to mid thirties, forties, some elders. Um, who a few of them also um, doing jury selection uh, told the judge that they don't think that they can give a fair, uh, well, be fair due to his case because they have had people like steal a car from, you know, like um, steal a trailer from by, on the side of the house. Um, one lady, her grandson was going through police academy. I mean, it was like at least three, three people that, um, that was picked that stated that they know they would not be fair because they've had some things done to them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and they kept those people on the jury. Their selection was pitiful. Let me, that's just the only word that I can actually find to describe it. Um, it was unfair and, and I think they all knew, including the judge that walking into that territory that my son was walking into, it was like he, he was doomed before the trial started. He didn't have a chance. You know, he did. And and the judge made that known as well. Let's be clear. He made it known, you know, that what what his purpose, what he was gonna do, he made it known. You know, but I'm but I'm very happy that my son stuck to it because because it is, um, maybe we can get, you know, some some laws changed. Yeah. You know, and and maybe the cops will stop killing, you know, our 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 black men, young black men, because they because the system is going to stand behind them one hundred percent. You understand what I'm saying? I hate that it had to happen with my son, but at the same time, he's gonna be the one to give people a second chance. That's such a beautiful way to think of it. At least there can be some good that comes out of it in the end. And it's unfortunate Absolutely. that it has to be Lakeith to go through it, but it Absolutely. sounds like he's strong about it. He's having a positive attitude. And so if anyone can do it, it's probably him. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm pretty sure that, like I said, he's not the only one because his case is not unique. It's just unique that he stood up for something that he believed in and he stuck to it. Mm -hmm. That's the uniqueness that we're, that's the unique part. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this when we were recording the episode that it feels that he was almost punished for wanting to go to trial as opposed to taking the plea deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is so unfortunate because it's in your constitutional right to a trial. Okay. So to be punished and get more time than the other kids just because of that is, is not okay. This isn't how our criminal justice system should work. Not at all. But you know, when we have uh, judges and, and, and DAs who power trip, you know, 
women have those people who's up on the pedestal and they use their power for anything than the right thing. How do they go home and sleep? You know, knowing that you then sent, sent a child away who was 15 at the time when it happened. You, we asked for a speedy trial. We was denied that. We went to court um, so that he could stay in juvenile, you know, go, go to juvenile court. We were denied that. Everything that we tried to do, you would think that those boys killed the cop. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you would think that the roles were totally reversed. You would think that they went in and shot a cop. But the cop came in and shot a kid, shot him in the back, in the back of the neck, and had the audacity to tell the coroner to change the report because it didn't line up with his story. And this is all in court documents. This is all in black and white as facts. Well, my advice before they have to experience something like this is to let your kids know that once the system get their hand on you, there's nothing a parent can do. There's nothing a pastor can do. There's nothing, hell, a lawyer can do. You know what I'm saying? Because the kid with the court, not with a, um, a, court, a court upon attorney, we pay for him. We pay for him to have an attorney. Like the best way to avoid this kind of situation is just to not get in it. Like, like let your kids read the blogs, watch the documentary, like let the kids understand that this stuff is happening. And one strike can mess up so many years, you know, because when your child's locked up, you locked up as well. Because it's always something. And jail is not free. Let's understand it. They always need something. Yeah. To keep to keep safe, you know, just keep themselves safe because it's not cool to go into jail to borrow and all that stuff. They're like this is all you always have to keep money on their books, money on the phone. You have to make sure. And imagine if it's a parent who can't do that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So you don't know what kind of torment, torment that your child is 17, 18, 19 in prison with actual murderers, with rapists. I mean. People who don't give a shit about society in real life, and they throw you in, they throw you in this place, and don't care if you can survive or not. You just another case that's tucked in the folder, tucked in the dresser, or you, or you in the enter button on the computer. You know, so I just tell anybody before they go through it, have these conversations, have them, have them till your child get tired of listening. I have them, and I'm grateful because I have people like yourself who I've never met, who I've never walked past in the street and still have so much compassion for my son and myself and my family. From what we see every day, you don't think this kind of stuff still still exists. You know, you don't think this kind of stuff is still a thing, but it is. Yeah. And me and my son are so grateful that because anybody could have been picked, you know, to get these stories, you know, and to, to get the support of, you know, the country pretty much, you know, any, any child could have been picked, but it was mine. And, and like I tell them, this it, is God. And sometimes God gonna sit you down so you can think you got to use your mind and to keep you alive. I mean, the situation he's in is, is shitty, it's very, but it's God's way of making sure that he, he's gonna come home. You know, he's gonna learn something because if you keep letting them just do stuff and do stuff and do stuff and do stuff, to, to it's gonna be a, you know and they won't 
understand the consequences. You understand what I'm saying? Although it was unfortunate that this thing that he did, it it, it, it didn't deserve the consequence that, that he had gotten. No. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And and you know, and I tell people to go in some other stuff and do that. Yeah, he should have got the right time if they're gonna give him time. Mm-hmm. But to give him 65 years because he don't take a plea. Yeah. That's not even that. And with the plea, I think the parole date for that was like in maybe like 15, 20 years. Still a lot. It was excessive still. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, where's the break? Yeah. It's like, where was the break? And he found out that he had, he, he has a daughter. I just want people to understand that it's real, especially for our boys of color. Let me give you an example. The same, the trial date that my son had, it was this other guy. And I forget his name, he was a white guy. But the guy was already in the, uh, in, in, in the county jail because he put the police on the high-speed chase. And during the chase, he, he wrecked his car and the car caught fire and his wife died. She oh. died. He was in the county about maybe a year or two years. This same judge let him walk out of there on probation. His case was right before my son's case. And I think that that was done intentionally. It is a lot. You know, and it, and it get frustrating at time because when your son get frustrated, you know, you try to keep a, you try to stay positive, but it's like, you don't know how it is in here. I don't know, but I do know. We had those days where he's like, like, I'm just tired of being here. I'm tired of, you know, I'm, and I know you are. Like, I'm tired of you being there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and I, so just, you got to be patient. You got to you know, you got to trust the process because it's a process. And that, that's just what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Oh, I can't imagine. How old is his daughter? She's six. Yeah. She go to uh, first grade this year. Does she look like him? That, <laughs> from the way she talked to the way she walked. Like, <laughs> they say he, she, he, she, they say she like me because he looked just like me. So they say she you, like. Yeah. She. I actually got custody of him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and that gave him that gave him a lot more hope as well. Like, cause he didn't know anything about it at first, and it was like, you know, so come on, yeah, you got a reason to, yeah, you know, to fight the good fight harder now. Yeah. Even harder. Yeah, he needs to go home to her. Please come home to us so I can get a break. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> is it nice when you look into her face and you kind of see Lakeith there too? Oh, super. I can't keep my hands off her. And, <laughs> and she tell me all the time, like I I call her in the room, or sometimes she just come room and just check on me. She called me mom. She said, "Mom, you okay? You all right? You need something?" I mean, she, she, she know how to fix water, juice, sandwiches. I'm like, okay. <laughs> a little helpful, you know. <laughs> I bet she's a good support system for you too. Yeah, she is, and she's just like him. She's real, like self-sufficient. He's always been that type of person. Like he's always been able to just do for himself. Since he was like maybe two or three, he's always just tried to do stuff. He's been keeping you on your toes. Yeah, ever since <laughs> the first day. But again, I thank you all so much. You don't know how dope this is. Me. Like, this is so cool. Like, I appreciate this a lot. And I hope that it gets out to some more boys, you know, to some just kids, period. Like, listen, this can happen. 
you know, stop following the crowd. Yeah. You know, if the plan sounds stupid, don't do it. And if somebody say, all you got to do is, don't do it. You know, it's, you got to go with your logic. You have to use them. You know, like my dad said, you got to use your head for more than your head rate. You know, you got to, you got to stand, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Yeah. That's what that is. So, because like I say, eventually, you know, it, this, this matter is going to get into the right ears, the right hand land on the right desk. Yeah. You know, it's going to get right. And that's why I just say it's processing this time. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brontina. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to do our best to bring as much awareness as we can to Lakeith's story. Thank you so much. Now it's up to all of you to help this injustice. So again, our call to action is to sign Lakeith's change.org petition, which currently already has over 800,000 signatures. A link to the petition can be found in the description of this podcast wherever you are listening from. We will include the link in the bio of our Instagram under unjustly podcast, or you can search change.org under justice for Lakeith Smith. You can donate to his GoFundMe page to help pay for legal fees, which we will also include the links for. Please help us spread awareness about Lakeith's case and reform needed around these laws unfairly used against him. But we will keep you updated on any movement on his case and how you can help in the process. For faster, up-to-date information, you can follow his Instagram page at Justice for Lakeith Smith, and four is the number four. So that was the story of Lakeith Smith. It's a tragedy that not only a 16-year-old boy lost his life, but essentially all of the teens involved lost their lives as well at such a young age, even though they did not pull the trigger. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Injustice. Thank you to all of you who have been supporting the cases we have been covering, and thank you for your continued support of our podcast. If you haven't already, please take a second to leave us a rating and review to help spread more awareness about these cases, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button See you for next another week. case of injustice. Bye. Bye. Robberies mm-hmm. with um, guns. <laughs> Deadly weapons. <laughs> Guns and sharp things <laughs> that could be called knives <laughs> that fall under the umbrella of weapons, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The boys were taken into the boys were taken into. <laughs> <laughs> Why?